Last week in our parsha, we were looking at in Kedushim what's known as the holiness code. Well, that kind of continues this week in Amor, but this is the, more of the holiness code for the Kohanim. And so God continues to tell his people what it means to be holy before him. But that's not where we're going this morning. I'm not going to talk in detail about Amor. And, but it does, again, it, it, it describes all the details of what the priests are supposed to do. And it also lists all of the uh, Moedim, God's appointed times. I mentioned it before and I'll mention it again and I, I will probably do it at other times. It's not the Jewish holidays. It's not the Jewish feasts. It's not the Jewish thing. It's God's appointed times. But what I want to focus on is something we just did in our liturgy. We do it every week, as a matter of fact. The Veshamru. We've mentioned it from time to time that mostly all of the liturgy that we utilize here in our services comes straight from Scripture. How many realized that the Veshamru comes from Scripture? Oh, okay. A few. And we know that there are at least two melodies that are used for the Veshamru, at least here. But did you know that there are many more melodies for the Veshamru than what we do here? I get a, I'm getting a couple of noddings of heads. And you know what makes the difference and what it depends on? A, the congregation. Or B, the cantor. What the cantor decides to do, or what congregation it is, is what melody is used. That's not to say that we can't expand and use some of the other melodies, as any of our cantors choose to do. But it, without saying a whole lot about that, the fact is, it is one of the, mo- the traditional prayers within our traditional liturgy. What you might not know is the, ka, the Veshamru is not sung in every synagogue during a Shabbat service. That's because, how many realize there is actually a debate amongst the rabbis about what should be in liturgy and what should not be in liturgy? And that debate comes up because in the structure of a traditional liturgical service, the Veshamru would come in between two specific points in the service. And they consider the Veshamru to be an interruption and it, because it deviates from those traditional prayers and the blessings of re- redemption. Who knew? The rabbis can't agree on that one either. So, but for the congregations that do include the Veshamru in the Shabbat services, it's with the blessing of the rabbis. The rabbinic authorities say that the Shabbat is about our redemption. So why would we not do the Veshamru? So it has been allowed. 
What's more interesting is that many of the congregations and synagogues in Israel do not say the Veshamru. And that's because of an 18th century rabbinic authority that objected to reciting it. And because of his position, they follow that rule not to recite the Veshamru. 18th century. I mean, like 300 years ago? And we're going to go by what he says? Well, we don't follow that authority. We answer to a higher authority. And that's me. No. <laughs> so, as a result of all of that, the history, the customs, the Jewish tradition, although, like I said, this is not, it's a book written by Jews in a Jewish land, but it's written to all of God's children. And the Veshamru being recited in Shabbat service, it can be greatly different between certain certain congregations, certain cantors, as I said before. And even from one country to another, even from one rabbi to another. Now, I chose to focus on this particular prayer this Shabbat because Amor, in particular, chapter 23 of Leviticus, God established his appointed times, his Moedim. And by setting those appointed times, God established what has been commonly referred to as the Jewish calendar. Again, it's not Jewish. It's God's calendar, but it's what became now known as a Jewish calendar. If any of you, many of you have a calendar that shows the dates for the Moedim, and it will say Jewish calendar on it, just know that nobody just made those dates up. God appointed them. So as we keep those dates on the Jewish calendar, we're keeping God's calendar. We're living according to his plan that he set forth in Leviticus chapter 23. And speaking of Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3 says that work may be done for six days, but the seventh day is a Shabbat of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You are to do no work. It is a Shabbat to Adonai in all your dwellings. In this verse... We're actually commanded to keep the Shabbat. It's the very first of the Moedim that God mentions. But guess what it doesn't do here in this verse? It doesn't tell us why. As if God needs to explain to us why it is we should be obedient. I'm going to travel back in time. The Genesis chapter 2. The first two, three verses say, So the heavens and the earth were completed along with their entire array. God completed on the seventh day his work that he made, and he ceased on the seventh day from all his work that he made. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, for on it he ceased from all his work that God created for the purpose of preparing So here we are in the story of the creation, what God did, what God said, how God established everything. This is the very first Shabbat, and it was set aside on the seventh day when God stopped creating. Then God actually blessed that day, and he made it holy. Why? Well, because he stopped working, and because he's God. 
He is the author and creator of all things. So we don't even read at that point anything that commands us to keep Shabbat. In the future or even at all that we should stop working. It's not mentioned there. But it's the very first Shabbat that God set aside for God. He rested from creating. It was his Shabbat. Always was, always will be. It's just that later on, we are told that we're supposed to also keep Shabbat along with him. In the ten statements, the ten words, the ten commandments, as they're more often referred to, in Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 8, it says, we're commanded here to Zachor, remember Yom Shabbat, to keep it holy. You are to work six days and you are to do all your work, but the seventh day is a Shabbat to Adonai your God. In it you shall do no, you shall not do any work, not you, nor your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your cattle, nor the outsider that is within your gates. For in six days Adonai made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Thus Adonai blessed Yom Shabbat and made it holy. Remember that, Zachor, remember. When we go to get to Deuteronomy, we see the repetition of those ten statements or the ten commandments. In chapter 5, beginning at verse 12, it says we are to shamor, observe Yom Shabbat to keep it holy, as Adonai your God commanded you. Six days you are to labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Shabbat to Adonai your God. In it you are not to do any work, not you or your son or your daughter, or your slave or your maid or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the outsider within your gates, so that your slave and your maid may rest as you do. You must remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Adonai your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore Adonai your God commanded you to keep Yom Shabbat. Remember the Passover story. Remember the Seder dialogue in the Haggadah. We're supposed to remember the exodus from Egypt as if we were personally there coming out of Egypt. And so as God is commanding Moses what to tell the Israelites, he's telling us as well that we are to keep it. We are to shamor. Wait a minute, didn't we just read that we're supposed to zachor? Remember? See, Shabbat now becomes about us. And it becomes a reminder where God has brought us from. How do we get to the point where we observe Shabbat? We came out of Egypt, came out of bondage by the mighty hand of God. Now, both of these passages, as well as the reasons that were, that are given for keeping Shabbat, are actually encompassed in the Kiddush, which many recite every Shabbat. How many are familiar with the entire Kiddush? It's not just the blessing of the bread and the blessing of the wine. It's much more. It's a blessing on the Shabbat. Well, in the the Kiddush, it says, there's a phrase that says, Zikaron le'maseh bereshit. Remember the creation of Genesis. And then later on it says, Zacher Lisiat Mitzrayim. 
Remember the exodus from Egypt. So it ties the two together. It's taking a beginning and tying it into the deliverance, the redemption time from Egypt. There are two candles that are lit on Erev Shabbat. And they're said to represent Shamor and Zahor, to observe and to remember. I may have them backwards. But it's in Exodus chapter 31, verses 16 and 17, that we get a better understanding of the full purpose of keeping Shabbat. What it isn't, is it isn't to be cut off from the midst of his people, or surely to be put to death, as we read in verses 14 and 15. That's not the reason we keep Shabbat. That's the penalty for violating, but it's not the reason we do it. Although our penal system tells you that you're penalized, you're incarcerated to turn you away from the things you've done wrong. But that's not the reason that we do something, just because we get penalized if we don't. It's because of our love for God and a love for His commandments and His Moedim. But Exodus 31, verses 16 and 17, is where we find the Veshamru. It says, Veshamru B'nai Israel. So, B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, to keep the Shabbat, to observe the Shabbat through their generation as a perpetual covenant. It is Ohi, a sign between me and B'nai Israel forever. For in six days Adonai made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he, Shabbat Bayinafash, ceased from work, and rested. If you look back at your order of service, you can see that's exactly what we're singing when we sing the Veshamru. It's from Exodus chapter 16, of 31, 16 and 17. So what reason we celebrate Shabbat using this passage from Exodus 31 that we've come to know as the Veshamru, just like with any reading, any passage, it's named by one of the first words that are in the passage, Veshamru. And why do we do that? Instead of the fourth commandment, which is the way it was done early in history, during the temple times, because there were actually those who would mislead the people in their teaching, saying that the Torah was found in the Ten Commandments only. As long as you focus on the Ten Commandments, you're focusing on Torah. And therefore, it made the rest of the Torah unnecessary. Okay, I'm glad that there were some that taught otherwise. But it was then that the sages decided that they should take the Ten Commandments out of daily worship and replace it with the passages like Exodus 31. They didn't want to get caught up in that. Oh, this is everything. This is the Torah. These ten statements is the Torah. Some of the sages did not agree with that. So they inserted Exodus 31, the Veshamru. The phrase Veshamru B'nai Israel is found just one other time in the Torah. And that's in Numbers chapter 9, verse 19. And that was when the cloud would remain over the tabernacle for many days, as it says. It says, Veshamru B'nai Israel. And in that, the Israelites obeyed God's commandment and did not move. 
but they remained until the cloud was lifted. So, based on some of the things I've already said, you can probably imagine that the debate, yes, there was a debate, on whether the Veshamru should be included in the liturgy, and even when the Veshamru would ever be included in the liturgy, continues even today. See, most of us couldn't imagine ourselves after being here at a dot for some time to have a service without the Veshamru. But many of the great rabbis could imagine it and therefore institute it that way. One of the earliest sources is from the uh, some of the Siddurim prayer books that do not have the Veshamru in the Arab Shabbat service. There's a lot of prayer books, a lot of Sidurim out there available. Look it up. You won't find the Veshamru in some of them, especially the more the Orthodox, many of the conservative. Rabbi Rokeach says you can say the first line in an undertone. Rabbi Abraham says that we can say it after the Mikamocha. Because any Jew who keeps Shabbat is immediately redeemed. Because any Jew who keeps Shabbat is immediately redeemed in his estimation. So yes, you can say Shamru. The tour, I don't know how many are familiar with the tour. It was an earlier version of uh, Jewish law that came before the Shulchan Aruch which is the current code of Jewish law that is kept. And it has in there that Exodus chapter 31, verses 16 through 17, in the tour, is being said, recited, canted. But the Shulchan Aruch, which came later, omits it. So it's no longer part of the liturgy. So, the debate continued and continued. It went through centuries, through several commentators. Rabbi Zalman said that the wording of the law found in the Shulchan Aruch indicates that it shouldn't be said. But, I like this, but he actually goes on to give a reason to continue the practice and say it. So he says, yeah, it's not in the code. But it's okay to say it. Even to the extent that future Labuvich, uh Sidorim contain footnotes that permit you to refrain if that's your custom. So it's included and you can say it or you cannot say it. The end result was that many people wanted it. So guess what happened? Some rabbis found a way to include it for those who wanted it. I'm glad they did. I'm one who am glad they did. What's even more interesting is that there are laws that have become established in the Talmud that have come from the Veshamru. Some of those are this. I'm just going to give you three of them. You may save a life on Shabbat. Why is that? Because you must preserve a life so that that life can continue to be 
observant of Shabbat for years to come. Kind of an interesting way of putting it, but yes, you can save a life. You do not wear tefillin on Shabbat. How many of you? Everybody, how many know what tefillin is? I don't. I don't want to. Okay, well, I'll explain this. The tefillin, according to Chabad.org, describes it as two small leather boxes attached to leather straps. The two boxes each contain four sections of the Torah inscribed on parchment, and those passages are. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, known as the Shema. It's where they pronounce the unity of one God. Deuteronomy 11, verses 13 through 21, which is known as the Vihaya, which expresses as God's assurance to us of reward that will follow our observance of the Torah's precepts and warning of retribution for disobedience to them. Then there are two sections in Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 through 10 is Kaddish, Kadesh, rather, Kadesh, which is the duty of Jewish people to always remember the redemption from Egyptian bondage, which I would say is an extension to Gentiles because a mixed multitude came out. We're supposed to remember the Exodus as if we all came out, so therefore it applies to everyone. Then Exodus chapter 13, verses 11 through 16, which is also referred to as Vehayah, the obligation of every Jew to inform his children of these matters. Again, the extension goes on to Gentiles, because if we're all coming out of Egypt, we're all supposed to be obeying God's commandments that he gave after the Exodus. So one of the boxes, the hand tefillin, is placed on the left arm so as to rest against the heart which is the seat of emotions, and the suspended leather strap is wound around the left arm, left hand, and around the middle finger of that hand. The other box, the head to fill in, is placed upon the head above the forehead so as to rest upon the cerebrum. In this manner, our attention is directed to the head, heart, and hand. It teaches us to dedicate ourselves to the service of God in all that we think, all that we feel, and all that we do. It is also to teach us not to be governed solely by the impulse of the heart, lest that lead us into error and transgression. Nor are we to be governed by reason alone, for that may lead to harsh materialism. When placed on the arm opposite the heart and on the head, the tefillin signify the submission of one's mind, heart, and actions to the Almighty, as well as the rule of intellect, over emotion. That's according to Chabad.org, and it's pretty detailed. There's more you can get from it if you want. It's up to you. But the reason the tefillin not worn on Shabbat is because the rabbis say Shabbat itself is the he, the sign to observe God's Torah. So we don't need anything else to remind us of Shabbat. The third thing that the Talmud allows is we must have a bris if it falls on Shabbat. You know, some people say, well, wow, that could be put off, can't it? No, it can't. That's a circumcision for those that don't know. It's because like Shabbat, the circumcision is the Yodhi Leolam, the sign for all time or forever. 
So there's another interpretation of observing the mitzvah of Shabbat when we recite the Veshamru. And that, here's what this interpretation says. The commandment ordaining the Shabbat differs from all other mitzvot in that the others are clearly distinguishable. For instance, tzitzit, tefillin, shofar, sukkah, lulav, the list goes on. Even when their respective mitzvot are not being performed, their nature is clearly evident, since nothing comparable to them exists among other peoples. In other words, you see the object and you know what the mitzvah is. Easily. You look at the shofar, you know that there's a mitzvah behind the shofar. You see the tefillin, you see the tzitzit. It's easy to distinguish. That's not true about the mitzvah of Shabbat. Because unless we actually observe it, we don't know if the day is Shabbat. Because what separates Shabbat from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? So, I mean, they're all the same. They're days. There's no difference in the days. Every day is the same. 24-hour periods. So in and of itself, there's nothing different from any day of the week. So the very existence of Shabbat is only seen when it's observed and practiced by God's people. We make Shabbat visible by doing Shabbat. Even the Jerusalem Talmud teaches that Shabbat is equivalent in importance to the rest of the Torah. It's a little bit different than what uh, some of the sages said, right? With the Ten Commandments contain all of the Torah and you don't need the rest? This one's saying that the Shabbat is equivalent in importance to the rest of Torah. One rabbi put it like this. Shabbat has the potential to transform us from stressed out organic machines into vessels of peace and holiness. That is nothing short of amazing, he says. I mean, think about it. There are even some that say, look at Shabbat as a day to step off of the world you know. It's a different day. You're now experiencing the peace. You're now experiencing the tranquility of that day that God set aside. You can go back to the craziness at sundown. Back to normal, if you will. But I, I, I don't like it explained quite that way because that would be saying that the Shabbat is abnormal. But in a way it is. It doesn't follow along with the other days. It's separate. We define it by observing it. We make Shabbat Visible to others. We make Shabbat, Shabbat. God created it. We keep it. So my prayer is that we will always observe and remember our heritage of Shabbat. Just like commanded by God. When we do that, we become recharged, revitalized even. And maybe our lives will grow to become linked with him more closely as we observe that day he rested by resting with him. So we will keep singing Beth Shamru here in this congregation. 
We'll continue to go to Exodus 31, verses 16 and 17, each and every week during our liturgy. And we'll keep singing it every Shabbat, and we will express through it our Shabbat joy. And I want us to always savor the words and experience a a newfound power that God gives us through His Word and through His Ruach. His Holy Spirit. He wants us energized. He wants us refreshed. He wants us to have peace. We often talk about how there's no peace in the world. And that one day there will be peace when Yeshua returns. But we can have our little section of peace every Shabbat as we remember what God said. As we study His Word. As we continue to recite our liturgy which expresses His Word verbally. I will add one thing, and this is going back to last week as I close. I believe I left the impression when I was talking about the story of the the cantor who came in and he says, I charge twice as much because of the fact that I recite the Shimoni Esrei. I gave the impression he that it isn't recited. Well, it isn't recited by the congregants. The congregants are doing it silently. So in that sense, he's doing something different by reciting the Shimoni Esrei, but the people aren't doing anything any differently. They're still doing a silent prayer. Again, just like I said last week, I'll say it again. There's value to what a person can add to our learning. What a person can add to what we're doing as we worship God each and every week. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we do thank you and bless you because you are teaching us each and every day. We thank you for the Shabbat where we can take our, take a little time away from all the mundane, all the problems of the week and join in with you in a special way. A day that's set aside just for you and fellowship with one another. People of like mind. People turning to you in worship and in praise as we recite the words of your Torah. Thank you, Lord, because you are so great to us. I know we fail daily, hourly, every minute, but we know that we can turn back to you and receive forgiveness for those failings. And we thank you that you did give us the Torah, the whole Torah, not just the Ten Commandments that we will know what you'd require and desire of us. How we are going to walk before you, speak before you, speak to others on your behalf. It all comes from your word. Inspire us by your Ruach. Give us new words to speak to maybe the same people that they would understand better and that they would turn their lives to you. As Ron prayed earlier, we pray not just for Jerusalem and, the, and Israel and the Jewish people and our, our nation, but we pray for those that are against us and against your people, that you would speak to their hearts and renew their minds. Turn those hearts of hatred into hearts of love for you, and thereby love for one another. That we can draw closer 
to the peace we all desire even as we wait for Messiah's return to bring total peace to our world. Thank you, Abba, for your greatness. In Yeshua's name.